Revolution I can't get no Call to action But I try And I try And I try And I try Hello and welcome to Call to Action The go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing and advertising In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Giles Paley Phillips, multi-award-winning author of children's books, including The Fearsome Beastie and Little Bell and the Moon, Giles also finds time to co-host the British Podcast Awards-nominated Blank podcast with comedian Jim Daly, where recent guests have included Gary Lineker and Louis Theroux, no less. And that's not to mention an alternative rock band career that saw him perform at the Glastonbury Festival and TV appearances on Good Morning Britain and Eggheads. Giles says, be kind. It's a little way of showing others there is love in the world. And it's precisely that generosity of kindness I took advantage of in order to be saying, welcome to the show, Giles. Hello. That's a very, that's a very nice intro. I feel very humbled. Oh, good. So no edit required. Right, let's go straight into our quick fire questions. So, Giles, tea or coffee? Coffee. Book or Facebook? Book. Glastonbury or Hay Festival? Glastonbury. That was, that was, yeah, wasn't sure about that one. <laughs> they get harder, typically. Fact or fiction? Fiction. Laugh or cry? Hmm. Laugh. Heroes or monsters? Heroes. And lastly, Fantastic Mr. Fox or The Gruffalo? Fantastic Mr. Fox. Is <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer. It's got to be Roald Dahl. Sorry, it's got to be Roald Dahl. <laughs> Do you have a favourite? BFG, I think. What did you think of the film? Have you seen it with Mark Rylance? I liked it. Yeah, it was it was good. But yeah, I mean, there's always it's always tricky when you're adapting books into movies. It's never quite as magical. So I'm increasingly interested in how people end up doing what they do, especially as it's rarely a linear path, which I think is always encouraging to hear, especially for anyone listening who feels they can't sidestep into something entirely new. So how did it all start for you, Giles? Well, it was certainly non-linear. I mean, if I want to go back really far, um, I didn't do very well at school. Um, I kind of was never really academic. Um, I was really interested in sports. I loved football and athletics. So I never really saw myself as being a creative if, we, if we're going to go back that far. It was always sports that I was interested in. Now, having said that, I wasn't particularly good at football. Uh, so I think even though I had dreams of becoming a professional footballer, um, it was never really going to be, as I think in the back of my mind, I knew it was never really going to happen. Um, but I was okay at running and I thought about doing running when I left school, I thought about joining a, an athletics club because it was something that I enjoyed doing. And, um, I thought it might be, you know, it could be a possible career move, but you know, once I got to college, I think I did the sort of thing that everyone, I kind of got shimmied along, you know, I, I, at school, I didn't do particularly well at school. So I thought, go to college, see if I can sort of improve myself academically. And that didn't really work out. I kind of dropped out of college. And about the sort of time I sort of dropped out of college, I had started getting more of an influence. I mean, I'd always been into music, but I started learning the guitar 
Um, I remember watching one night, I was at, stayed up late and there was, I think Kirk Boner just passed away and I was watching like a Nirvana Unplugs thing and I was really taken with it and really found it to be quite mesmerising. And I'd always, you know, I'd like, I'd like rock music quite a lot, but I think that was kind of a bit of a, an epiphany that oh, I think I want to do that. So yeah, I, I remember getting a guitar a few weeks later and starting to learn the guitar. And then I, at college, I'd met a few people that were in bands and stuff. And so I got kind of closer with them and started thinking about, um, I don't know, I never really wanted to play other people's music. And there was always a thing like, you know, you learn pe- other people's music and you're influenced by other people, but I always kind of wanted to do my own thing. I don't know what that, where that came from really, but just very early on learning, I wanted to write my own songs and play my own songs. So yeah, I got together with a few with a few guys at, at college and then we started a band and that was kind of, then I sort of thought that was my first sort of creative um, pursuit. Um, and, and then it you know, I soon became ravenous for it and wanted to, that became the thing I wanted to do. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to play gigs and we started to do that. We started to do shows and you kind of get a bug for it. Um, you know, there were tiny little pub gigs with hardly anyone there, but you, you know, that sort of performance thing became uh, quite uh, special and you, you know, you do you get, uh, you, you get a bug for it. So yeah, so I started doing that kind of thing a bit more and then we, yeah, we started writing together and that, that became my pursuit really. I wanted to do the band and, and the other guys in the band were really into it as well. So, you know, we started um, recording our material and trying to send it out to places and eventually we got a management deal and we, you know, we, we did some really cool tours and played some really good venues and obviously we got you know what I'm talking about now into my early 20s I got to play Glastonbury and some of some other big festivals so you know and that was the dream that was the dream of doing that um but you know sometimes these things don't work out and we never quite got to the level we wanted to get to we never quite um managed to get a, a record deal and um people in the band want to do other things you know and that, that was fair enough it's 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 a slog um being in a band and you know, touring around the country in a van, sleeping in the van after gigs. It's, you know, it's not pleasant always. And uh, you kind of, and I guess you fall out of love with it a little bit. And so, yeah, we kind of went our separate ways. Um, I mean, I still play in a band. I still play with the drummer in in the band I was in before. We still play together and write together. So that's, you know, I still have that. I still love it, doing it. Um, but yeah, I guess around sort of, yeah, I, I got married in my early 20s and then um, sort of late 20s, my wife was um fell pregnant with our first child and just again like I just don't know where it was coming from I was working in a shop at the time just working in a toy shop managing a toy shop in our in a town near us called Lewis and you know I quite enjoyed it It was just you know but I was always sort of dreaming of other things you know always thinking about other creative things I could be doing and and I think finding out she was pregnant and then deciding I, I kind of wanted to create something for our new child and that's kind of when the writing started and then presumably that became as compelling and I guess addictive in some ways as the music yeah absolutely yeah yeah no you're totally right yeah it did uh you know I started sort of looking at other which you you can't do when you're in a band as well you like listen to other music get influenced by things and yeah I started to sort of seek out stories and books stuff that I hadn't read for years you know like we said um we talked beforehand about Roald Dahl um you know finding those kind of books and getting into it and reading what was kind of out there at the time I didn't have necessarily have aspirations to get anything published but I certainly wanted to write something that was was good and compelling for um and, and something that you know that he would enjoy 
um and it was something that we could because i mean i I, I love the idea of the sort of shared experience i still do the shared experience of reading a bedtime story with your child and if you've written the book as well or the story or you made up the story you know we make up stories for our kids there's something special about that you know and um i kind of wanted that that was the sort of thing that i had in mind so yeah so sorry guys there's a long drawn out answer to your question but yes i did become kind of ravenous for for wanting to write and i started writing lots of stuff you know um and then yeah then the next stage was um starting to consider whether i wanted to try and get any of them published do you then subsequently see yourself now more as a writer or do you still see yourself as a musician or, or a poet? I know you're a, you're a published poet. There's, there's all sorts of strings to your bow. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose it's just a kind I don't know, I don't see myself as any of those things. <laughs> I think it's like we were saying before about imposter syndrome and feeling a little bit like, I don't know, I still feel like I'm lost person like I was when I was going through school and, and college and stuff that I, I haven't really still found that thing. Although I've been very lucky, um, I've had work published and, 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 and the podcast, whatever. It still feels like I'm, I feel, don't feel like I can justify calling myself this, that or the other because it still doesn't feel real, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. And, and you touched on the whole imposter syndrome mm. feeling that, that you said you experienced at the podcast awards recently. It's very humble to even suggest that that's what you were feeling at the time. But um, I think as well, certainly as, as I concluded, it tends to be the the good guys and the talented people that conclude that. So um, so no, that's, that, that's a good answer. And then in terms of what you actually write about, I mean, clearly you, you there's a mixture of themes that kind of come in and out of your books, but I think it's fair to say you do tackle some very serious topics and write big themes for small people, topics including death and grief and, and loss. What were your original and I suppose subsequent motivations for writing about these topics? I lost my mum when I was quite young, I was six um when I lost my mum and obviously it's had a very profound effect on my entire life and I certainly I think when you when you have children which is also a very profound part of your life some of those things start to come back and I would say probably haunt yes a little bit I certainly say that um when uh, my youngest turned the age I was not so much with my oldest for some reason but I think when our youngest turned sort of six around the same age I was when my mum passed away that I started to feel particularly uh, haunted by uh, loss. Um, and it was, I think I was having conversations with him about it at that time as well. You know, it was something, I know most children at a certain age, they do start to be inquisitive about loss and death, particularly if they've, you know, he, he would ask questions. Uh, well, both the children have asked questions about where's your mum and dad? You know, where, where's your granny and grand, you know, that kind of stuff. And you do have to kind of consider what, how you're going to approach that that subject with them and certainly my wife and I've always been tried to be really open and honest with the children about um she also lost her father when she was a teenager mm. so death has played a big part in both our lives so we've always wanted to be fairly open and honest about that and I think writing about it like I said earlier like having that shared experience of the bedtime story I was hoping that for for me and my, my children and also maybe for other people that the opportunity to have the conversation about those themes um, would be would be there for them in that safe in, safe environment of a, of a bedtime story. So that's kind of why I started to write about this. And, and I think actually, as any creative will know, that they you put a lot of yourself in all your work. So whatever you've experienced in life, there's going to be a little bit of you 
in what you write about or what music you produce or uh, a, a movie you make or wherever it might be there will be aspects of you and your experiences will be there so I wanted to write about those things and make it like I say make it a nice experience for our children to have and learn about those things in that safe environment of the bedtime story so that's kind of why I started to write about them yeah that makes that makes complete sense and it, and it's a great medium to as you say to tackle what is um, rife with complexities mm. and understanding loss so how do you then go about creating creating the characters so a couple we've we've spoken of and I've I've read to my daughter Annabelle is is the fearsome beastie little bell in the moon super chimp how do, how do they come about and equally you mentioned that there's always a bit of you in your work are you any one of those three <laughs> Well, The Fearsome Beastie is a book about a monster that uh, goes and eats some kids in the local village. <laughs> the twist of it is that he actually does eat the kids. So, I mean, obviously <laughs> most um, stories you could say would be a bit, little bit more, maybe a bit more PC would <laughs> would actually prevent the monster from doing it. But we, we, I wanted to create like a proper Grimm Brothers style kind of story where, yeah. you know, those sort of old stories that were quite dark, you know, the original versions of... Little Red Riding Hood and all those kind of stories are a lot darker than they've been watered down over the years. So I kind of wanted to write something that was more in keeping with those original kind of ideas. And it's not everyone's cup of tea, clearly, but it was it was nice that the publisher felt they could take a, a punt on that and actually <laughs> allow me to write that story with you know with a with a gr- much more grisly kind of twist. I would say that the, the granny kind of character in there in that who sort of kind of saves the day. I don't want to give away the ending for anyone's not read it, but that is that is definitely based on my. Um, paternal grandmother who was a feisty northern woman who wouldn't take any crap from anyone and would be quite happy to excellent take an axe to to the to anyone that was like gonna be like you know <laughs> coming at the family so so certainly there is a lot of you know and and, and granny's actually uh, granny characters appear in quite a lot of my stories there's a granny character in the princess stay awake story and also um a, a novel i've written recently so because i was I spent a lot of time with my grandparents after my mum had passed away. So, you know, they've always been, they were always a big influence on me. Mm. So, you know, and I wanted to sort of, so there's a lot of me in that respect, peripheral characters in my life have come in. But yeah, I mean, the others are just kind of, I always wanted to write a superhero story and Super Chimp was, you know, I just thought it was a funny kind of idea. Obviously, Little Bird on the Moon is about um, grief and loss. So that's got a lot of, I mean, the kind of the idea that we, you know, return to stardust when we uh, when we pass off. It's just kind of a life cycle, that story. So it's more the a life lived and, and, and the experiences we have through it. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, why that one is. But, yeah, there's, you know, I wrote Princess Stairwakes, one of my books, because my son was always waking up in the middle of the night for, till he was five. I know a lot of people have written to me and said, oh, yeah, I totally get that. That's, you know, our kids always been a nightmare going to sleep. So it's, you know, it's kind of tapping into themes that are universal but also yeah stuff that that has related to me and my my experiences and do you have a favorite character oh uh yeah i guess the fearsome beastie will it's my first it was my first picture book and and like i say it was i don't think a lot of people a lot of publishers would have put it out and so i'm very grateful to maverick for, for putting it out and yeah it's uh yeah, he's a, he's not he's not very nice, but I kind of like him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then mm. um, I wanted to touch on rhyme. So there's, clearly, there's a lot of rhyme throughout mm. all of your books. And um, from a personal perspective, I love making up silly rhymes with with my two two daughters. So nonsense rhymes is part of what of, of one of your books' titles. Why why mm. is rhyme so appealing? 
I think probably because of, like I said earlier, my background in music, I guess it felt like, you know, because poetry is like music with words, really. So I think it always appealed to write in that way. And I always found reading the books I read to the children or the books that I, when I was sort of looking at um, books that were out there when I was thinking about becoming a writer or, or writing stories, were the, the rhyming books were always the ones that appealed the most. They just are the ones that sang to me. And so it was always... It always felt like a, a an easy thing to develop into, and I think because, like I say, because of the music um, aspect of my earlier careers. So yeah, and I just think you can be, from a creative point of view, it's fun to play with rhyme because you know there's lots of technical kind of aspects to it. So um, that's always exciting because you know you have looking for syllable counts and I know I know some writers might think that sounds a bit boring, but I quite like that counting syllables. <laughs> so you make sure that they're all really concise the i you know the i the, the challenges of writing a picture book as well is that you've got you know 32 pages 16 spreads to tell your story so it's you know you've got to be concise with the narrative and rhyme again is another challenge to, to get over and that's you know as a writer that's interesting and stuff and i just think i don't know i think it's, it's generally there's just that appeal of the rhyme i just I, I, i've always loved the work of spike milligan and nonsense poetry i mean going back to what first really spurred my first ideas of writing i was when i was working in the same shop the, the toy shop i was having a day where i was trying to come up with some ideas there was a bit downtime in the shop's quiet over lunchtime and i and i went for a walk and i found a there's an old charity shop and inside there was um, a book on the wall i'd never it was really just in a tree it was black and white and it was booked by this author called shell silverstein i'd never heard of him but transpires that he's like Voldar in America like everyone's got a Shell Silverstein if you you know every kid's got a Shell Silverstein book every school's got one every library um and he writes these amazing nonsense poetry and he'd written lyrics for Johnny Cash and all sorts of things he was really amazing and he did the drawings inside as well and they're just these fantastic short hilarious nonsense poems and I just remember reading through and just thinking ah this is it this is this is what I want this is what I want to do this is what I want to to say and so I remember running back to work and then writing writing my first story so I think rhyme's always been a, a thing there and I, yeah I can't imagine not writing in rhyme really in some respects I think this is I mean to kind of creep a bit into our world of marketing and advertising one of our first guests on the pod Richard Shotton mm. he wrote a great piece where he actually dissected the power of rhyme his comment being that great mm. strap lines such as beans means hinds and a, you know a mars a day etc they're kind of underused nowadays mm. i think there's a there's a tendency to people think maybe they're a bit gimmicky or it's just a bit silly but actually because of it's silly it's memorable <laughs> because it's playful it's memorable yeah exactly yeah i find i find rhyme really appealing i think one of my favorites is um i think it's t.s Eliot, the old possum's book of practical cats oh it's fantastic yeah yeah which is great but my my, my two don't really enjoy it as much as i do so oh there's a great there's a great version that Axel Scheffler did, the, the guy that does the all the illustrations with Julia Donison. Oh yeah. For like so the Gruffalo and stuff. He he did a, a version of it. So with his um he illustrated it. So they might they might find that more appealing, is what I'm thinking. Just because it's his, you know, have a look for it. Seek it out because I think we got it for our kids and they and because they like they're, they're used to his kind of illustrations and the Gruffalo and uh Stickman and all that kind of stuff. They, they it really appealed. So so try it again. I do. You know, no, I will. That's, that's, that's a great tip. I will. I, to be fair, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that at all, which surprises me mm. because most, you know, half the bookcase is, 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 is either illustrated by him or written, yeah. written by, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think Zog's the current favourite. Oh, yeah, yeah, Zog's great. Great, <laughs> great stories. So the other side of writing then is it clearly is reading, and you've touched on it already about that shared moment and experience of reading. Mm. How important is that? I know you you worked on a recent book in partnership with Indeed mm. where you looked at or talked about parents who miss out on that mm. valuable time with their children. Oh, it's vital. It's vital. And I think the shared experience and how, you know, that is great for, for children to be inquisitive, to download, to talk about what's going on in their lives. It can open up all sorts of discussions. Plus, they're getting to hear a great story you know spark their imaginations so there's all sorts of benefits to the shared experience of reading um also reading as an individual i mean uh, people always you know when i go into schools or if i'm doing creative writing workshops and thing i always say about the benefit of reading if you are wanting to be a writer uh, or a creative and how important reading is for that because you know it's really good to learn the craft um to see other ideas be inspired um you know you won't find many musicians that don't listen to other music. You don't find many movie filmmakers that aren't watching other films. Um, so, and I think sometimes you don't always hear about writers reading and um, it's so important um, to get that, to get that, to be inspired by other people's work. And I think if you're starting out as a writer um, or a poet or a novelist, wherever it might be, um, reading is so invaluable. And I, and like I said, I say that a lot when I go and do school, um, visits and do do talks about writing that um how, how important it is and I think I didn't read a lot when I was a kid definitely not and I, I'm trying to make up for it a bit now as an adult both reading with the children and reading for my own pleasure and it's not always easy to read you know if some people find it more easy and it's it's much easier now to stick on a screen um um you know we've we've got screens everywhere and if I was going to choose my mode of relaxation it would be sticking on netflix or whatever but at the same time i think it's so vital that we do read and learn and learn about language and and literature and 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 whatever you know whatever you're into but yeah i just think it's just a a thing that we we should never lose and we need to keep hold of it as for as long as possible yeah i i couldn't agree more uh so so what are you what are you currently working on giles you're currently writing Um, so i finished the sort of but end of well, I finished it about a year ago. I suppose was a book for adults, which is a first novel, which is coming out at the end of this year, um, called One Hundred and Fifty Two Days, which is a sort of semi biographical story, a bit about what I was talking earlier about um, losing my mum when I was young, and uh, kind of the fallout from that. Okay, and that's coming out with Unbound in yeah at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about that. But off the back of that, I I've, I've written a couple of other um novels in the same style so it's in free verse so kind of a sort of you know a step on from the sort of rhythm and rhyme of writing the children's books i wanted to write um these Mm. stories where the language was the the main propeller of the story and not not plot and not you know so it's it's about the language of the the words and using that as the the narrative frame and not not just a you know a prose plot so it's been really um really lovely experience writing like that and because it's you know you're it's quite because it's free verse you're not constricted to a certain but iambic pentameter kind of thing you know so it's it's quite it's a, it's a freeing experience and I, and I really enjoy writing that way so yeah so I've written a couple of other 
adult novels one is a sort of thriller and the other one is kind of a sci-fi thing so i'm kind of working on those still at the moment because they need tweaking but um it's yeah so that's that's kind of what i've been working on generally and a few other picture book ideas but yeah i've been quite busy with sort of other projects and obviously the pod which we'll, we'll come on to in, in a second you mentioned the mm. 152 days is actually being published by unbound so mm. um does that mean people listening to this can still get involved with the fundraising side of that yeah so it's a really interesting model the unbound thing so to take you back a bit the, the stories obviously i've already explained is it written in free verse it's a dark personal story from the point of view of a teenager protagonist who has in the book has got no name he's unnamed uh i gave it to my agent and she said uh i'm straight off the bat she was like it's a beautiful book you've really well written uh but bear in mind this might be very tricky to place anywhere so she said we're gonna have to try and find an editor who's super loves it who's going to be so behind it that their sales teams in the publisher are going to fawn over it okay so it's really so she says it's going to be a really hard sell because it's quite niche so i said okay let's let's see how we get on um so we started sending it out she started sending it out to various publishers and the feedback we got was amazing we got loads of really good feedback and it was really sort of validation for the story i thought this is great i've you know i wasn't sure how people would receive it it's always tricky when you send stuff out to editors even via an agent they can often be quite cold you don't get you know you get cold response or you don't get any response you don't get any feedback and you know i keep getting this really wonderful feedback each time but each time was the same mm. issue we don't think that we can sell this book it's too personal it's too dark you know free versus too niche you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so we kind of keep hitting brick walls and you know it's one of those things where we were sort of my agent and i were my agent becky was you know she was so supportive about it and brilliant and she said we will we, we, we're going to find a way somehow to get this out there but at the moment i don't know you know we might need to wait we might have to wait till the to the industry comes around to more of these kind of books and um, we might have to wait you know you might have to leave it for a couple of years and see what where the where the land lies and you know whatever and then we came across unbound um who are who have an interesting model so basically they are they're like a regular publisher but what they do is they want to give the power of the book or or, or what books are published back to the reader so basically if if, if you want to read this book then you pre-order it and then um if enough people pre-order the book then it goes in pro into production so you're, you're you know you're giving readers the power to decide whether they want to read this book or not and so it's a really interesting model um and so so yeah so it works like a pledge it's kind of like a crowdfunding kind of uh, thing but there's no time limit on it and you know books you know it can take years sometimes mm -hmm. for books to be fully funded um i was really lucky my book got um funded really quickly um, and, you know, and I have, um, I'm really hugely grateful to everyone that, that pledged and, and, and got involved and wanted to read the book. Um, and it was really lovely. And again, another humbling experience really to be involved in that process. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as it's, you've hit that sort of watermark, you are into just regular, you're like a regular publisher and it all, it, it, you work with, a, you know, work with an editor and a copy editor and um, line editor and then, go for a design team and it's that collaborative process as you would have with any publisher so it's yeah it's been it's been a really really wonderful experience for me the whole sort of thing really and um, they're a brilliant publisher and you know i'm really grateful that they decided to take on this 
um, project. Again, like other publishers, they, they don't take on every project. They only take on ones they think are viable. So, you know, it was nice that, um, you know, they were willing to take a punt on on this book uh, and obviously saw some merit in it. And um, yeah, and, and, and it's going to be published now. So, so in answer to your question, people can still pre-order their copies and you get your name in the book. So, you know, you get a special copy of the book with your name in it. Um, and a, a thank you and um and mm. you get a special version of the of the book so it's printed um so you get like a a more plush version of it or you can have a signed copy and all these different things so yeah you just go to the unbound so i think it's unbound.com and then you can just type in my name in the search bar and then it'll come up 152 days and yeah uh you can get an ebook for 10 pounds and then they go up to sort of uh 25 pounds for a kind of signed hardback so yeah Great. We'll um well we'll put that link in the um episode page for this so that people can go over and, and, and support Thank you. you. And and as you say, it's great that Unbound have supported this and shown you that faith and echo what you said. They do have a great, very democratic model for writers and, and, and in fact we've had two previous guests have had works published using unbound both um amy keen and stephen colgan oh cool um so you know the, the fruits of their labor is is, is a wonderful and, and and should be enjoyed so yeah so there's a, a nod to unbound yeah and there. actually there are a lot of more bigger mainstream people are using it now um quite a few celebrities have started writing books through unbound and i mean we've they've got uh terry jones from monty python has done a couple of books oh, with them um raymond briggs you know the snowman author's done a book with them um Kip DeWall, who's a massive, so yeah, so so it's becoming, you know, Tom Cox, who's a massive nature writer, so who's like, been a Times bestseller, has done three or four books with them now. So, you know, it's really, really interesting how they're actually, um, you know, you're getting some really big name names in the in the um, industry that are wanting to, to to publish books for Unbound, and that's really exciting. It's, you know, it's exciting to be involved with them. So yeah, it's great. Excellent. Um. We've mentioned the pod, the podcast, a couple of times. Mm. So the podcast is called is called Blank. You were recently, as we said on the intro, you were recently nominated in the British Podcast Award. And the the subject for the podcast is essentially, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's looking into those moments when we, when we go blank, mm. and that applies to everyone, from writers to uh, I don't know me asking this very question <laughs> or presenting or just forgetting lines for actors. So. So firstly, how did you arrive at such a great subject for the for the podcast? Again, was that maybe inspired by personal experience? <laughs> um, and secondly, what makes a good podcast? Because I, um, I could do with some tips. Um, I'll, I'll address your first question, your second question first. Um, I don't know, to be honest, what about the podcast. I mean, we're still so fresh and new to it. I mean, Jim, who I co-host with, is a stand-up and he does a lot of presenting and stuff anyway. He does, um, so we, we, we met... Uh, sort of via twitter because we're both crystal palace fans yes and he does a he does a crystal palace podcast called fyp which is very successful and um you know i think i sort of pitched him the idea of doing of doing blank and so you know obviously he had some experience of, of podcasting anyway i have no experience of podcasting i have no experience of being a broadcaster or a presenter i had no experience of doing any of those stuff so i am totally winging um every week imposter syndrome again um yeah, uh, totally totally and you know, obviously you get you know again and get starstruck quite a lot of the time as well um so it's uh, yeah so in regards to knowing what works best i think i guess from a technical point of view is making sure that you um 
have got decent gear um and then i think social media make sure that you you know you make your presence felt on those kind of platforms um and yeah just making sure you get people to tell their friends and family about it and subscribe 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 that's all i can really sort of suggest on that sort of front we're, we're like everybody else i think there's so many podcasts now um and standing out from the crowd is always difficult in a, in a very you know um thick forest of podcasts if we get i think we said when we started if we get like two or three people listening yeah. that's that's great you know so you know that it and and at the end of the day it's the it's the making it that is um the most important thing to us the actual process of being in the room with with our guest and having that conversation is the exciting bit and the you know and if people listen to <laughs> yeah. it then that's a huge bonus um yeah so your your first question was how did it come about so well i've been wanting to make a podcast for about 12 years so i it's, it's all a lot of things happened at this toy shop when i was working at toy shop so i got made redundant from the toy shop the band had broken up i was just getting into writing and i started listening to i think ipods had only, i think i've got my first ipod they'd only just started coming out and i started listening to ricky gervais show which was probably like the first kind of podcast that a lot of people listen to um, with carl pilkington and stephen merchant and i worked with a lady who was quite eccentric and she was like my Carl Pilkington. And if anyone remembers the Ricky Gervais show, Carl Pilkington is the sort of, um, it's just them sort of ripping him a lot because of his sort of strange ideas about the world. And she had all these weird, wonderful ideas of the world. So I was, I started to record, <laughs> record her. I'd ask her questions and then we'd, we'd, we'd go. And that was kind of what I started doing. And then I obviously didn't do anything with it. And then, you know, I just, it was one of those things where I think I wrote a list of like a, like a bucket list when I got made redundant. I was like, what are the things I want to do? And one of them was write wanted to write some books i wanted to learn the piano which i haven't done yet i wanted to do a podcast and i kind of put it to one side and thought well i'm not ready i don't have any experience i don't have any contacts i kind of like the idea of doing an interview podcast but didn't you know like i say i didn't have anything didn't have the didn't have the requisite skills or knowledge or anything for it at that point skip on sort of 10 12 years later i started being asked to be on a few podcasts and i thought ah i do like the medium i listen to a lot of podcasts um I'd, I think back, I th- was thinking back to that list I'd made and like things I wanted to do. I had a similar situation where I was sort of downtime in work. I didn't have much work going in. I thought, you know, this is, you know, going through a slight blank moment writing wise, um, thinking that I'd always wanted to write a create and um, kind of wanted to do a podcast and, and do something about creativity. So that's what, you know, the creative industries are what I'm in. And um, just one, literally one day I just thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm quite an impetuous person. So I do tend to like, if I kind of got like an, uh, a feeling about something, I will, I will go and seek it out. And so I said to my wife, I th- I'm going to make a podcast. And she was like, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to see if so-and-so will come on it. And, and, and so I started asking, you know, I've been very lucky that I've, over the last few years, I've built up a bit of a following on Twitter and I've, you know, I've got a few, well-known people that follow me and I started to sort of have conversations with them, um, you know, in, in, in direct messaging and stuff like that. So I started just putting the feelers out. Would you come on my podcast? It's good. I want it to be about this. Um, you're, you know, you're a creative or you're, you know, whatever it was, it might be. And people started saying yes, which is obviously the first thing that was a bit of a surprise. I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, they seem to like the idea of uh, the, the sort of, you know, these difficult moments. And I guess podcasts are a way for people to, 
open up a bit more they're not selling anything particularly it's not like you know you're going on you know a bbc program or graham norton or whatever it is to to sell a product or a film or a tv program that you're in or whatever it might be so you know the idea of long-form podcasts being you know a, a safe place where people can talk about you know your chat this you know that the kind of um have that kind of more open discussion was was obviously appealing to some people so so that that's how it kind of came about and then i contacted jim and said look i'm doing this this is the idea I, it'd be great to have you on board i like what you do with your podcast you've got you know very i think we get on you know we've got similar interests i think you know we, we hadn't met each other at that point so we met up in brighton instantly there was you know there's a chemistry um, between us and we were on the same page about general things in life you know we've got very similar outlooks and um kind of knew straight away that it, it could work well the two of us i wanted to do a long form interview podcast with two voices in the room rather than uh, sorry three voices in the room rather than just the two which a lot of you know a, a, quite a lot of um, interview podcasts are frostnicks and that's fine to have that it's great you know there's some really great ones and some of my favorites are are, are just um you know like adam buxton's for, for just off the top of my head is great because it's just him and the guest and, and that's really great um but we wanted to to kind of have like you know an extra voice in there that you know we jim and i could bounce the idea and i like the idea of collaborating anyway i've always really enjoyed collaboration being a band and stuff so you know i quite like that idea and actually people a lot of people sort of see writing as a, a very singular activity once you once you get in with a publisher it is a very collaborative um project so you know i like collaboration that's always been interesting to me so so yeah so yeah that's how it kind of came about and you know and it's been a complete whirlwind i mean we started in september and uh you know people keep saying yes to coming on and we keep pinching ourselves that we sit down each week with some of our heroes you know i mean i just like I say, it's, it's just kind of surreal sometimes. Um, and it's, and it's been a, an absolute blast and I've really loved every single second of it. And I love every aspect of it. I mean, Jim and I both put the show together post, um, in post. So, you know, sometimes Jim will edit one. I will. We, we tend not to edit. We actually don't edit the, uh, the conversations. They're very clean, clear as they are. So we, I think we said when we first started that we would, uh, leave blank moments in because we you know we feel like it's more natural the idea is that it's three people having a chat over a cup of tea a cup of coffee you know it's um and everyone else's kind of flies on the wall it's you know we wanted to make, make it as natural as possible um so we leave in blank moments that come up you know if we get something wrong or we say something wrong it's left in there i mean the first episode we interviewed john monson who i'm a massive fan of and i was a bit nervous about meeting him no i was very nervous about meeting him and um we met him at his hotel and we did the interview in this in his hotel and i'd really thought out what i was going to say to him as the first question not that we particularly have questions as such but we have little bullet points that we try and get to and i'd really thought about it loads on the train up to london and i'd been going over in my head and then when i said it i got the name of his book wrong <laughs> and i was just I could, it was so crushing. I was mortified and he corrected me. He was very nice about it. Um, but I thought, ah, uh, balls. Um, you know, it was, uh, so yeah, so that was, you know, but we, we, you know, I was thinking, oh, we could, ch and I was thinking, no, do you know what? We're leaving that in because that's part of it. You know, we all have those moments and I think that's why people are enjoying it and why people want to come on it is that we do all have those blank moments, those, whatever it might be, you know, in a conversation or, 
through your work stream, you know, or you can't come up with content or you, um, you know, we've tried to throw the net out with, with regards to our guests. So we've had, you know, we've had politicians on, we've had sports people because there are all these different all these you know blank moments happen for everybody it could be that you you know you're having a loss of form we spoke to obviously spoke to Gary Neville and Gary Lineker about dips in form when they were playing or um you know comedians we talked to them about losing crowds if they're they're performing live or you know a politician like Caroline Lucas saying that the first time she stood up in parliament she completely forgot what she was going to say so it's all these kind of things you know that um I think touch so many different people in so many different sectors or industries that um it's quite nice for us to be able to to throw the net out and get as you know as many different voices as we can to to talk to so yeah and it's revealing isn't yeah. it it is revealing yeah. that was a very long answer to your question no no it's good. i like long answers but it's, it's revealing <laughs> also reassuring to know that it's a common thing faced by people in all walks of life yeah and i think that's the thing i think when uh possibly a thing that's great about podcasts is that we can find something that we're empathetic with so you know if you're into football you know the thing about podcasts is you can seek out a particular thing and um you know and i hope people will, will seek us out for that reason that you know they can empathize with with, with those moments and um and, and and also you know we sit down with people that are top of their game you know we, we're talking to people that are the biggest presenter on the bbc and going okay you've got louis Farouk, the you know the most respected documentarian in england today you've got you know people that are really rich at the top of their game and they still have those moments and they still have those neurosis about various things. You know, they still want to be better or seek something, you know, whatever it might be. And that is so reassuring as, you know, Jim and I, who are nobody's really to hear. I like to think that we are like the listeners on, you know, we're, we're the, the kind of everybody's who, who are listening to these impressive people who have such impressive careers and, you know, know that, they have them just as much even though they're incredibly successful listening to the to the episode with gary lineker that you just mentioned it was interesting to hear him say that when he first started broadcasting and presenting that his own opinion of himself mm. was that he was absolutely terrible i mean i'm paraphrasing he probably didn't say he was terrible but he gave the impression that it, yeah, yeah. You know, he's been on a on a road of improvement when it comes to him now and when you look and look at him now and see him present he's very much in that whole des Lynham category of this guy's just spot mm. on yeah, and he talked about having media training and also, you know, I think he said he, I think he said he did media training with Trevor, Trevor Brooking. Brooking. I think so. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, clearly it's paid off. He's he's brilliant at what he does now, and he's very relaxed in front of the camera. You know, he had to work at it, and and I think that's that's nice to hear as well. It wasn't just you know, it wasn't he just didn't fall into the you know, he, and 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 actually had a passion for for learning about it as well. You know, he had a drive to do it. He wanted to do. He wanted to work in the media, and you know, and you know, it, it's paid dividends for him. So yes, yeah, it's, it's cool. I'd like to ask you a couple of uh, listener questions, if I may. Mm. So asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. Uh, but we've had a couple in. So uh, Louise has asked, given your career history, and I must just add some context here, she's referencing to your, your work in mm -hmm. marketing and social media, mm -hmm. which we haven't actually touched on. But Louise asks, is it easier to write for brands or for children? Oh, goodness. Um, probably brands because you normally get a brief very rarely a brief when you're writing stuff for kids <laughs> yeah. um, you just got to kind of hope that it's they're going to like it and and actually I think kids are more brutal in their honesty than brands are um, <laughs> so I'd have to go yeah. brands being easier although you know no writing's easy no 
This is true. I often think of um, writing for brands. So if you, you know, if you park that mm. as the copywriter title, it's a bit like acting, isn't it? You have to yes. take on a part and yeah, take yeah. on a different voice. Whereas writing for children, it's obviously a lot broader, the options. Yeah, it? of course. Yeah, yeah. And you just, and it, yeah, and you just don't know what they're going to like and what they're not going to like. No, no, no. Uh, welcome to parenthood, everyone out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, our own copywriter here, Mark, he, he has asked, mm. um, for my 39th birthday, I was bought a £175 limited edition Lego Star Wars Y-Wing spaceship. Ah. As a as a master of mental health and also a fellow Lego lover, do mm. I have a problem? No. No, Lego, do you know what? So when the kids got old enough for Lego, it was just floodgates open. This is like, okay, now, now we can invest in some really good Lego. <laughs> so, yeah, I am a bit of obsessed with Lego. I really, because they just, so last week they put out that they're bringing out Stranger Things set. Are they? Yeah. Nice. So you get the, it's really cool because you get like the house and then you get the upside down. <laughs> so it's yeah. like you can flip it up. And uh, I literally creamed my pants when I saw that because uh, <laughs> I, I, I I have to own it. I really have to own that. Although it is £179, yeah. which does seem a little bit steep. Yeah, but they know, you, they know you're going to buy it, Giles. That's the only thing with Lego. Well, they know now, anyway. Oh, I know. Well, I'm going to have to ask a few friends to chip in, I think. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I, the thing I love about Lego, again, in, in all seriousness, is going back to that shared experience. I think the reason I really got into it was the fact that we could, I could do it with the children. So we would, you know, we'd make the sets together yeah. and... Um, we would play with them together and stuff like that, and and, and obviously like Lego's got a sort of uh, yeah. you know the geek value for adults, you know, you, taking you back to those times when you had it when you were a kid. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's that shared experience that I love about it. You know, so yeah, I mean, I've got loads and loads of my own sets. I'm saying inverted commas, um, but yeah, I mean, the kids still love it. So, but anyway, no, I don't think he's got a problem at all. I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoy building it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know as soon as we we, we finish this episode. He's, he's only yeah. next door and he'll be relieved to know that, that you feel he's in a good place. I think he's in a very good place. He is, yeah, well, he is, yeah. Um, so the final part <laughs> of the interview, uh, Giles, is, is we ask our, our four pertinent posers. Mm. Uh, so these are our usual questions. Right. Number one is, what advice would you give to your younger self? What would I give my younger self? Um... I give my, that's a really tricky question to ask um don't fret too much things will generally be all right i'd probably tell my younger self not to fret too much things normally yeah things normally work out okay just be a bit more just maybe be a bit more chilled out <laughs> i'm not like i'm you know I, I can be a chilled out person but yeah i think that's what i would say to my younger person it's come up a couple of times actually i think again when you start off in life or whether you want to focus this on work and you start off in a career it's it's natural to feel anxious and to worry about things but as a again just nodding back to a previous guest uh jp hansen i recall him saying that uh you worry so much that it's the end of the world when you make a mistake yeah and to date it never has been no and i think I think when things have happened in my life that have gone badly, like, you know, bands, you know, you know, being obsessed with being a musician and the band's written up, you know, doing this, whatever it might be, you become a bit of a doom monger yeah. and you just, you know, you think this is, yeah, like you say, the end of the world. Oh, this is, you know, oh, I'm never going to do this, that and the other. But actually, you know, 
things normally work out yeah. right. And actually, would I want to be doing that thing now? And probably, you know, I would say to myself, you know, probably not. Good stuff. Um, number two. So number two is if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? So when mm. we refer to industry, um, depending on our guests, that can be many things, but we'll, we obviously will extend that to the publishing world. I think being ignored. Um, I've talked this about this with other people in other industries, actually, other creative industries, um, and a lot of people get ignored. I know mm. I've got uh, actor friends who will go for auditions and just won't hear anything. And I think it's that. I think we'd rather the rejection. Yeah. I think for a lot of creatives, they want closure. So I think, you know, if I've yeah. if a book's gone out for you know to an editor or whatever, or, or or I ask someone to be on the podcast or wherever it might be, it's being ignored is the painful bit. Um, you know, you could say you're being ghosted. I guess that's the kind of in word, isn't it? But just you know, I. I one thing that I've talked to a lot of people about is that being ignored thing and how painful that can be. And actually being rejected is not as painful. So I would say, yeah, I, to, to any editors out there, to any casting directors, uh, to any uh, A&R people, please just tell the people that you don't want to use them or you don't want to put their record out or you don't want to put their book out because keeping them hanging is far worse. Yeah, and, and equally, whilst they're hanging, they can speculate that the reasons they haven't heard back are far worse than, than the truth, exactly. which, which you know doesn't help. Does it? I mean, there's parallels there with our world yeah. of uh, pitching and, and, and not hearing back from a client, which, um, again, is, is sadly very common in, in, in our mm. industry. Well, it happens all over the job, you know, when you go for a job or anything now. It just seems to be like there's a culture, you say, oh, I just won't bother telling them. And I just think, well, you know, mm. that, that just is just feels unfair and, and and i guess rude as well you know i just think i think people will ex- yeah. will take it a lot better if you just sell them you know i know it's you know maybe it's easier for people to ignore people but anyway that's a little gripe i have yeah no i i, I share that same gripe i mean i think people can be so discourteous without intending to be so we um uh, much like many many agencies out there we we receive frequent email job requests from mm. mostly young grads and we will always respond to every single one, even if, as you say, it is, um, well, it's, not, it's never a rejection. It's, no. it's often a, you know, no, but keep your chin up or, mm. or try here or whatever. And it's it's amazing how many people reply again to say, thank you for mm. getting back to me because no one else has. And and uh, I'm not trying to say, ooh, aren't we great? But but I think it, it's true. It doesn't take long to reply. And it doesn't, yeah. And that being ignored is a, is a horrible, horrible feeling. So It is, it is any books that you would recommend so i expect there to be Ooh. a few we'll link to all of your books by the way um oh, that's very kind. These. So, um yeah are there any in particular that you would recommend to our listeners well i think for every anyone in this kind of uh time of toxicity on social media i uh, i can heartily recommend john monson's book so you've been publicly shamed which is a uh, just a genuinely brilliant book um about yeah about social media pilings and being chastised chastised rather from society because you know you wrote a silly tweet or you had an opinion on something so i would heartily recommend that i'm trying so i've been watching game of thrones right we can talk about Um, that as well actually and yeah so i'm trying to plan through the books because i'm not entirely i'm, I'm on the not entirely happy with the ending yeah. uh next yeah <laughs> so uh so i'm reading the books of that which are brilliant 
And what else? What else have I read recently? I mean, I've been reading uh, Russell Brand's book, Mentors, which is good. Yeah, I know for some people, Russell Brand's a bit marmite, but I've come to really appreciate him over the last few years. I never used to sort of like him that much, but I really, uh, I dig what he's doing these days. And um, his podcast is great. And, you know, I, I, I like I like the 2019 Russell Brand a lot. Yeah. And uh, his book, Mentors, is great, actually. It's all about sort of um, people that have had a big influence on his life and inspired him. So that's, that's great. Uh, and the last one I would say is... Um, uh waiting for waiting on the punch which is um a book by mark Marin, who does the w2f um podcast and it's all extracts from his podcast with various different well-known guests that's great um as, as a podcast book it's great to you know uh, for you know as a podcaster now which seems weird saying that it's uh it's great to sort of see some of his I guess his interview techniques and stuff you can kind of draw from 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 the so that's that's great that's a great book so yeah well worth reading lastly we always dedicate every show to someone and we bestow or hospital pass that honor depending on your view to our guest who has to give their reason why so over to you Giles so dedication um wow I'd normally dedicate most things to my wife and kids (laughs) just because uh they're always there for me, no matter what. I know it's a bit, it seems a bit um, schmoo- schmoozy <laughs> at the end there, but uh, yeah, that's who I will dedicate to because yeah, they just um, they're everything to me. So yeah, yeah, so it's to them. Good, that's great. Well, it's hard to argue with that, Giles. So so thank yeah. you. Um, as a final call to action, then everyone listening should head over to calltoaction.co where you've shared links to everything discussed in the last hour, including the book recommendations, including Unbound, um, and including Giles' fantastic podcast that he co-hosts, Blank. Um, how else can can we all get more Giles Paley Phillips? Yeah, you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Eli is tender 10 um, So it's E-L-I i-s-t-e-n-d-e-r one zero and the same for instagram and um just look my name up on facebook but yeah please do come and have a chat um i'm always up for a chat i do actually follow most people back i don't know i started doing this when i first joined twitter i don't think i quite knew how it worked and ended up just doing a facebook thing and following everyone back so i have i follow loads of people but i kind of like it i think it, you know it means my timeline is always very interesting Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll link to um, we'll link to your social medias too. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Giles. It's it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Finally, um, our paths have crossed a few times on on social, but we had been yet to talk. So, thank you for finding time to talk to us. No, th- thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And finally, thank you to everyone who continues to listen and support the show. Please continue to get in touch with questions to put to future guests, feedback, and anything else you want to share simply email us at hello at calltoaction.co. Try. I can't get no a call to action.